0: Today we celebrate as we remember the time Jesus entered Jerusalem for Passover. This was a yearly festival filled with deep religious meaning, but it started with essentially a parade. Military leaders would ride beautiful horses, dignitaries would come from far away, and then in the midst of it, Jesus comes riding on a donkey. The people would have waved palm branches like they did for everyone else, singing, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But it might have been different with Jesus. See, he had just raised a man, Lazarus, from the dead. Some of the crowd would have known this. And some may have expected him to be the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people. This celebration on Sunday, though, quickly changed to despair in just a few days as Jesus was arrested, tried, and executed. The parade became a riot, a a mob clamoring for the death of Jesus. As we conclude our series on The Walk, looking at the five spiritual practices of the Christian life, we are going to look closely at the last words of Jesus. Do we see a reflection of these five principles we've explored in these final words of Jesus? Let's listen for three of these final sentences of Jesus found in one passage in the Gospel of John. This is chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, verses 17 through 30. Hear now God's word. Emily?
1: So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the Place of the Skull, which is in, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to to Pilate, Do not write, The King of the Jews. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
0: Many of you have gone through the process of becoming a member at Hillsdale United Methodist Church. Uh, Some of you may have your membership in another church where you haven't taken that step just yet. But in our church, we have just a couple of classes where we talk about what it means to be a member here. And we discuss these topics we've been looking at over the last several weeks. Worship and prayer, uh, studying the scriptures, serving others, giving of your tithes, talent, and treasures, and finally sharing your faith with others. When you take your vows as a member, we say these words. Will you faithfully participate in the church's ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? We are asking if you'll make the commitment to these key spiritual practices that draw us closer to Christ. We want to know God, to live as he calls us to, and to be a blessing to the world. That's what membership is about. Blessing others through the church. Jesus showed us what blessing others looks like. He also showed us what is required of us to be that blessing. It is nothing short of our whole lives. Jesus was arrested on false charges. He was put on trial in an illegal fashion. The testimony against him was full of holes and lies. He was whipped and beaten. His clothing was removed to embarrass him and put him to shame. Then he had to carry a, a portion of the cross, the beam called the Patabolum, uh, to Golgotha. This was a, a small hill outside of the city, and that is where the cross beam was mounted onto the stipus, the vertical board. Uh, so Jesus would have had his hands nailed into the crossbeam, then hauled up onto the top of the, the stipus. Next, his feet were lightly nailed into the side of the vertical board, one nail for each foot. This was an incredibly painful position to be in. Eventually, he would die from a combination of things. Shock, blood loss, and suffocation are the main ones. So Jesus, speaking in this position up on the cross, is a terribly difficult thing to do. He can barely breathe and needs to push himself up using the nails that are in the middle of his foot or through his ankle bone so that he can speak. And what are the last words that he's going to say, the last few breaths that he has? What will he say in these final words that clarify his purpose, his mission, and how we ought to live our lives in response? Let's go through those words. The first is related to our spiritual practice of worship and prayer. Jesus said... As he struggled to lift himself up after hours of suffering on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll look at at the two other prayers from the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. And um, into your hands I commit my spirit. But it should not surprise us that Jesus is praying from the cross. He often withdrew to a deserted place. He prayed before meals. He prayed for the sick. And as he crossed the stormy sea, even right before Jesus' arrest and being put on trial, he prays in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. But then we have this puzzling cry of being forsaken. Some really struggle with this. And we'll take a look at another possibility for this phrase. But most scholars say Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. Apparently this was a beloved Jewish prayer. Uh, It talks about the troubles people experience, feeling far away from God. It may seem really negative to us today, but if you read it through all the way to the end, you might see its appeal. It starts low, but ends gloriously. He did not despise the afflicted. Uh, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that it is finished. It's beautiful, it's triumphant, and it happens to end the same way as the very last words of Christ. Uh, there are other ways to see this. Sherm Ruggles shared with me a different interpretation from the Aramaic, which goes, My God, my God, for this I was destined, or for this I was kept. Jesus may be saying, this is why I'm here, to give my life. So, Jesus prayed. How about Scripture? One of the things that has always amazed me about Jesus is how he knew the Scriptures and how he could relate it to nature and stories about people and their lives. That only happened because uh, Jesus knew the Scriptures so well. And even from the cross... Not only did he quote the scriptures, his life reflected its core message as well. To bring the good news of God's love to the world. From creation to Abraham to David and to the prophets, the message was to live according to God's commands. So the world would know God and be blessed by God. We see this in the simple words of Jesus, again taken from the Psalms. This time from Psalm 31.5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This is a scripture that we can all easily memorize. And how helpful it would be. Are the kids getting you out of sorts? Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Your spouse got you down? Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Know someone sick with coronavirus? Think you have coronavirus? Lord, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Scripture can get us back on track. Not worried about the things we don't control or the things that plague us, but focused on the mission. Love God and love the people. Give all things over to God. Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. How about serving others? That was our, our third spiritual practice. We are to be watching for opportunities to serve others. For the Spirit to prompt in us an action we can take for another. Just a few days before Palm Sunday, Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 20, The Son of Man, and that's how Jesus would refer to himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for men. Isaiah referred to the Son of Man as the suffering servant This suffering through crucifixion would act as a means to serve others. It would redeem them and draw them to God. This is the ultimate form of serving others. And then we hear Jesus, as he sees his mother and the disciple John next to each other, he utters these words from the cross. Woman, here is your son. And then, here is your mother. As Jesus was dying, he thought about who it was that would care for his mother as she got older. I've heard many parents quote the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and father to their children. They want their children to behave or follow the rules that they have made. But really, that command to honor your mother and father was not given to children. It was given to adults. The adult must consider how they will honor their mother and father as they age. Jesus made sure there would be someone there to care for his mother. What are you doing to care for yours? If we consider this passage from the perspective of the disciple John, we hear something more. John was asked by Jesus to treat Mary as if she were his mother. Would Jesus point you to someone and invite you to treat them as if they were your mother or father? Especially as we deal with the coronavirus pandemic, who can you love and support? What neighbor or member of the church needs you to treat them as if they were your parents? They need you. Maybe it's just a phone call to check in on them or maybe a note in the mail Maybe they are desperate for some groceries or medicine, but are too embarrassed to ask. Maybe they're sick in the hospital and need someone to assure them they are loved, and that you are praying for them. Who would Jesus invite you to serve as if they were your mother or father? Our fourth spiritual practice is generosity. We know Jesus was to give his life as a ransom for many His suffering is a very real part of what it meant for him to give his life. But we see him giving in another phrase from the cross too. I thirst. At first it might not seem like much, but in the Gospel of John, these short little phrases often are clues to a much deeper meaning. If you go back near the beginning of John's Gospel, you'll see Jesus meeting a woman at a well. She is a Samaritan Usually considered an enemy of the Jewish people. Uh, But Jesus asks her for a drink of water anyways. Then he tells her that he offers her a different kind of drink too. Living water, by which he means the Holy Spirit. The point is, in Jesus saying that he, the source of living water, is now himself thirsty. He is essentially saying he has poured out everything he has. The Apostle Paul says it another way. He says Jesus emptied himself that through death God would exalt him and lift him up. Generosity begins with a willingness to be emptied. But when we do, we don't find that we are exhausted. We find we are exalted by God. God takes what we give and increases it. Another way to say it is that we are blessed to be a blessing. When we receive from another, it's not so we can hoard it and keep it for ourselves. It's so we can give it to another, so they can know God's love. I thirst is a way Jesus is sharing everything he has to bless others in this world. Our final practice is witnessing to the gospel. We called it sharing or catching fish. And it just means we tell others about the good things God is doing. He did it by his sacrificial death on a cross. But he also shared this good news when he spent time with sinners and tax collectors. He told them, God is like a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one lost sheep. God is like the father who celebrates when his prodigal son messes up his life, but returns home again. He says it all with this phrase from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This prayer is actually quite different from the last two on the cross. Instead of praying for himself, he prays for others. He is praying for the soldiers that gambled over his clothes, who beat him and nailed him to the crossbeam. He prayed for the Jewish leaders who sentenced him to die. He prays for the crowds and the people shouting insults at him. He offers forgiveness to all. Not just then, but today, too. He forgives the gambler. He forgives the abuser, the murderer. The one who holds hatred in their heart. He forgives the mobs and the ignorant and the fool. He forgives you and me, even when we don't deserve it. And as Jesus is hanging, dying on the cross, there is a man next to him, also being executed, who realizes the mistakes that he has made. He knows he is wrong, that he has sinned. He recognizes that Jesus is totally innocent. So he turns to Jesus and asks him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, and to all of us who will confess our sin and trust God, today you will be with me in paradise. So we end with just one final word in the Greek from John 19. When we translate it, it could sound like defeat. It is finished, but it really means it is completed or it is accomplished. It's the kind of word we would use to exclaim a great victory. I did it, I won, I defeated the enemy. It is Jesus' love for us carried through his life to the cross, to his very last moment before his life ends. His love. Shown in such a fashion calls us to live in victory with Jesus. Walk with him day and night. Grow in the spirit that you would be responsive to his call on your life. Every day and in every way. Amen. Amen.